There's no secret formula for scaling support and boosting customer satisfaction. But there is the all-new service hub from HubSpot. It makes it infinitely easier to scale customer support and increase retention. By bringing service and support together in one powerful platform, you can deliver the best experiences for your customers and your teams. Free up time for your reps to focus on complex issues with an AI-powered help desk. Proactively drive retention with customer health scores that help keep your business ahead, stopping churn in its tracks. And give your entire go-to-market team the data they need to operate as one unified, powerful front. Also, you can better connect with customers and keep them happy. Secrets out. HubSpot Service Hub is a game changer. Visit HubSpot.com service to do more for your customers today. Good morning, everyone. It is Thursday, July 13th. I'm Juliet Bennett-Ryla, and this is the Hustle Daily Show. Today, Mark Dent and Sarah Friedman are going to discuss gastro diplomacy and how South Korea spent $40 million on the Korean Cuisine to the World campaign, designed to improve its global reputation through its delicious, delicious food. But first, let's talk about what else is happening in the world of business and tech. Okay, here's the good news. U.S. inflation has cooled down considerably from last summer's peak. The consumer price index rose 3% year over year through June, down from 9% around the same time in 2022. Less good news, life is still really expensive. Key indicators are moving in the right direction. So food prices are flat and housing costs are decreasing, but core inflation still remains above the Fed's 2% target. Now we're going to talk about two interesting partnerships. First up, TikTok has partnered with advertising platform Crackle Connects and DVD rental company Redbox to offer its content on over 3,000 kiosk screens in the U.S. Number two, Domino's is partnering with Uber Eats and Postmates, which its CEO said could add $1 billion in new sales. But not for me, because I like the Domino's pizza tracker. Even though people say it's fake, I still like it. Shopify put a calculator in employees' calendar app to discourage unnecessary meetings. This calculator will estimate the cost to the company of having a meeting. So just 30 minutes with three people could cost the company between $700 and $1,600, depending on attendees' compensation. In San Francisco, a group protesting self-driving cars has found out that if you put a cone on the hood of a GM Cruise or one of Google's Waymo vehicles, it will make the autonomous car stop. So that's what they're doing. State regulators are expected to decide if the companies can expand paid service in the city next month. Britney Spears, she is writing a book. It's a memoir. It's called The Woman and Me. It'll come out in October. And it's so hotly anticipated that it topped Amazon's bestseller list shortly after the title was announced. Britney's book deal is reportedly worth about $15 million. And finally today, we recently talked about how in Indonesia, McDonald's is offering a wedding package that comes with uh, hundreds of chicken nuggets. And that was pretty cool, I guess, if you like chicken nuggets. Today, we learned that Burger King Thailand is offering what it calls the real cheeseburger. It will cost you about $3.13, that's in US dollars. And it has nothing between the sesame seed buns except for 20 slices of what appears to be unmelted American cheese. So there you go. Okay, now let's move on to the main story. We're going to largely be talking about South Korean cuisine here, but I want to start by bringing up some numbers about Thai food. 
According to Vice, there are roughly 300,000 Thai Americans living in the United States. And there are more than 5,000 Thai restaurants. That's a really high restaurant-to-population ratio. It's more than 10 times higher than the ratio of Mexican restaurants to the population of Mexican Americans. So why is that? The reason is something called gastro-diplomacy, and it hasn't just been happening with Thai food. Sarah, you dug pretty deep into this subject. Tell me, what, what is gastro-diplomacy? Yeah, so as you said, Thailand was the first to kind of pioneer this, and I'm sure you've probably noticed that if you think about it, seemingly anywhere you visit, there's a Thai restaurant in the middle of nowhere. Yeah. If you take a road trip, if you visit a little beach town, there is somehow always a Thai restaurant, and it's not an accident. It's very purposeful, and it's because of this concept called gastro diplomacy. Such a like an odd term to know that that exists. Yes. And it's exactly what it sounds like. We're combining politics with stomachs here. It was first coined by The Economist, but it's basically describing a political tactic that governments use to increase the value and knowledge of their nations through food. And it sounds like, you know, you mentioned as a political tactic. But it's like a fun political tactic. It doesn't even sound like a political tactic because it involves food. Exactly. It's actually known as what's they called a soft power. So uh -huh. a country's ability to accomplish its goals through more positive things. So it can be art, music, in this case, food, rather than more negative things like political agendas, wars. So this is very effective, but also yeah. a really fun way to kind of build your nation brand. So Thailand was uh, the first, or at least the first to really do this in an organized fashion. But some other countries have done it. Japan, I, I think. And notably, especially in the last few years, South Korea. Why did South Korea want to attempt gastro diplomacy? Yeah. So in the late 2000s, South Korea was having a little bit of an image problem, despite being home to Hyundai and Samsung and many very recognizable, successful brands. They were finding out that many people in the public and foreigners in particular didn't know that those brands were South Korean. They thought they were Japanese. Mm. There wasn't a clear nation brand happening. And the president at that time was very bothered that South Korea was ranking 33 out of 50 on what was essentially a popularity contest for countries. And the goal originally for the gastro diplomacy campaign was to move up specifically to 15th on the list and to, you know, assert South Korea as a place where one would go for specific things, food included. So the thought being, though, and, and this goes to like the whole point of gastro diplomacy, I, I suspect, is that food has some sort of special way of, of making people think about your country, like to where... You, even if someone sees like a Hyundai commercial or even maybe even buys a Hyundai, like they don't necessarily connect it with where it came from. But I, I guess food, they do. Yeah. I mean, the bottom line is food is very personal. It's very nostalgic to a lot of us. It's something people care a lot about. And as we said, it's a very positive connotation to have. So a great and easy way to attract tourism is to offer up food that people want to eat and are willing to travel for. Right. So South Korea put forward a decent amount of money, not a ton when you consider we're talking about a country here, but they put forward about $40 million into like their first campaign, at least for gastro diplomacy. Was it successful? Yes and no. <laughs> I think there there is room <laughs> to grow. I mean, 
to just backtrack a little and talk about the campaign. So they started out with mm-hmm. some big ticket items on some very publicly facing lists. So they were trying to register products like gochujang and ginseng that are very specifically Korean on these national indexes and lists in the hopes that foodies and tourists would see these things and want to visit. They also launched the World Institute of Kimchi, which is kind of their most noteworthy popular export. And CJ Foodville, which is one of the largest food producers in South Korea, actually launched Bibigo, which was essentially Korean Chipotle in America. And they also have packaged items and frozen items and All of these things were kind of working in tandem. So the question of whether it worked or not, it takes decades actually to understand whether a gastro diplomacy campaign has worked. But these were the things that were put in place to get there. Gotcha. So in we we may just be at, at the beginning of it. And one thing that people have noticed, whether or not they've been eating, you know, kimchi. Over the last few years, whether that's, you know, at a taco truck or at a, a more standard type of Korean restaurant, they probably have noticed that South Korea is just really having a moment in the popular culture. Is this, is there anything to suggest that this is connected to their gastro diplomacy campaign or is it maybe just more of a happy coincidence correlation type of deal, possibly? There is a specific name for what you're mentioning. It's called the Korean wave, and it's real. It's mm. <laughs> referencing this kind of pop culture global wave. Squid, squid Game. Yes, Squid Game, Parasite, which is an Oscar-winning film, Korean beauty products, the list goes on. We can't forget K-pop, H-Mart. There's a lot happening, and it all falls under this umbrella of the Korean wave. And to your question, I think, well, it can't be tied back perfectly to this original gastro diplomacy campaign. It's all working towards the same goal, which is to get South Korean culture out to the world in a really positive light. And when you see someone eating a cookie in Squid Game, you might want to try that cookie. And that's kind of the idea of gastro diplomacy. All right. One final thing. There has been, like you mentioned, like some good accomplishments by South Korea with regards to this gastro diplomacy. There's more restaurants and et cetera here in the U.S. But you were talking about these like popularity rankings, which are just hilarious to me of, of countries. And, you know, South Korea had its goal of being 15th, you know, in, in a recent poll or actually it was last year's poll. South Korea was ranked 23rd when it came to that popularity index of countries. So, yeah, they they haven't cleared all of the hurdles that they wanted to yet. What are people saying that South Korea should do more of to really become this, you know, ultimate kind of uh, brand, if you will? Yeah, that's exactly the word. It's really just good old fashioned branding, even though we're talking about countries and not businesses here. And in a 2018 poll from the Korean Food Promotion Institute, 88 percent of U.S. residents said they were satisfied with Korean food but only 63% said they were even aware of it. So that's still indicating that we have a problem with branding here. And coming out of Korea is this notion that Japan is branded as high-end, clean, fancy. Thailand is known as being down-to-earth. And that leaves South Korea still with a bit of a problem. We need these adjectives to link to it because that's how people 
pick what they're eating for dinner, find restaurants and choose where they're traveling. So I think that there's still a ways to go with the gastro diplomacy campaign. They've come very far, but I think now drilling into a really niche reputation for their nation brand would be the final step. Okay, so we will see how much more South Korea has to expand when it comes to food, restaurants, and just being part of really part of the cultural conversation in a huge way here in the U.S. Sarah, thanks for coming on with us. Thanks, Mark. All right, that's going to do it for us today. Thanks for tuning in to The Hustle Daily Show. We're a proud part of the HubSpot Podcast Network. Our editor today is Ezra Trupiano, and our executive producer is Darren Clark. We've got a lot more tech and business coverage in our newsletter. If you're not subscribed, go get yourself signed up at thehustle.co slash email. See you tomorrow. Hey, everybody. I got a great podcast to tell you about. It's called Truth, Lies, and Work. And it's brought to you by the HubSpot Podcast Network, the audio destination for business professionals. On this show, you can join husband and wife team Alan, Leanne Elliott as they dispel myths, impart wisdom, and answer all your questions about finding, keeping, and motivating great people. They actually just did an episode with John Smith, who is the manager and agent of famous Argentinian soccer player Diego Maradona. He talks about in this episode how he was able to manage the global superstar athlete celebrity that Maradona is and was. It's a great listen. You better get out there and check it out. And you can listen to Truth, Lies, and Work wherever you get your podcasts.